The Vancouver School of Theology is located on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. Welcome to Bruderholtz, the podcast of the Vancouver School of Theology. Uh, it strikes us that we don't always explain what the name Bruderholtz means or where it comes from. And basically, it comes from the name of an establishment, a pub, I think, Richard, correct? Yeah, in Basel. In Basel, where uh, Karl Barth would meet with uh, theolog- theological students and talk theology and ministry and such um, at various times of the day. I think there were some breakfast meetings there, too. At the Indeed, pub and in there Basel. were dinner meetings with uh, a pipe and beer and wine. There you go. It seems all of a sudden very boring here. <laughs> um, no, we're pleased to be here and pleased to be here with the principal of VST, Richard Topic. Thanks so much, Todd. Uh, today we're welcoming uh, uh, Dr. Mari Jorstad. Uh, Mari began at Vancouver School of Theology this past summer, July the 1st, and so she is in her first semester at our school, and we're so glad to have her. She's our dean. Uh, she does research. Uh, she's a biblical scholar. Her research focuses on ecology, land migration, and belonging in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, she's been educated here in Canada at the University of Toronto. And she did a PhD at Duke, where she studied with uh, Ellen Davis. She's published in the area of the Hebrew Bible and environmental ethics. And she comes to us from the Keenan Institute, where she was a research associate at Duke University. And we're so glad she's with us. I'm glad as the principal that I have someone who has come to work at the school who's an excellent administrator. Uh, that means a great deal to, to me and to our school. So welcome, Mari. Thank you. All right, the first thing we wanted to ask you about is how, how long have you taught, because I know you've taught elsewhere before you came here, and why do you do it? So I don't know exactly how long I've taught, because I don't quite know what to count, <laughs> uh, but maybe somewhere between six and eight years. Um, and mostly what I've taught is Hebrew. So I've mostly just taken students through that like panic-stricken first mm. Hebrew class. Um, and, and I also, well... Richard sent me questions ahead of time, and I thought, why do I teach? Um, <laughs> but I realized I don't know the answer to that, because I've never really had to answer it for myself, because it just seemed uh, like a good thing to do. Like, I enjoy it. Um, so it wasn't, it's never been something that I felt like, um, like flossing, for example, I have to give myself <laughs> a reason to do, because if I didn't have a reason to floss, I definitely would skip it. Um, but teaching just... Uh, has mostly been enjoyable, aside from the odd um, class that didn't go too well. But, you know, that happens in anything. Um, but I think the bit that I like most about teaching, if I was going to justify it to myself, is those moments where you discover things together. Mm. Um, mm. And again, since I've mostly taught Hebrew, it's usually very boring grammatical stuff. But that sense of, like, I have no idea what's going on here. And then, like, together with a group of students... You figure it out, and you feel like you've had an adventure. Again, it's a boring grammatical one, but it's that's also exciting. Um, and then suddenly you understand something you didn't understand before. See the lights go on in their eyes a bit, and, and yeah. in my in yes. my eyes too. <laughs> so what, yeah, what is particular like when you say you've always you've, what you've taught is Hebrew? 
um, there would be particular things, and you mentioned grammatically and, and such, some of the, but what is it that would draw students to learn something like Hebrew? And then what for you are those moments where like, oh, I'm really glad I'm teaching this? Well, some students, a lot of the students I've taught Hebrew have had to do it for right. ordination. Um, but then there's also the students where you're like, you know, I think you would enjoy Hebrew. Hebrew. And they're like, really? And you're like, yes. <laughs> um, and in some ways, those are the really fun students. Um, and like, for example, I had one student who took Hebrew entirely voluntarily and she wasn't great at it. Like, she wasn't one of those students who just, like, got everything immediately and did perfect on her quizzes and stuff. Like, she struggled. But mm. she loved it so much. And and she was such a joy to teach because of that. So, like, when she didn't know things, I was like, okay, let's, like, yeah. figure out how how we can get you from, like, not knowing them to, like, acceptable for the class. Like, I want you to pass. But let's also talk about, like, what you can get, like, what are the bits that really matter to you, like, for this in the long term? You're going to forget most of Hebrew right. is the reality. Right. So, like, let's make sure that you remember the bits that really matter to you. And that was just, it was, it was so much fun to teach her. So her excitement kind of overwhelmed the frustration. Yeah, and I mean, the, like, I don't think that the most important thing in teaching is getting students to be masters mm. of the subject. Um, I want them to find a way into the subject and one that they can, a way to access it once they are done with the class. But they don't need to be scholars in it. Um, they need a, a way to deal with the subject that works for their particular life. Right. Mm. And that's often different than what I need as a biblical scholar. Mm. Um, you're sort of verging on it here, but I was just thinking about how what you teach. I know you've taught in our summer school, uh, I think, a course on Ecclesiastes, and mm -hmm. you're teaching Hebrew Bible now. So how does what you do matter for the church? So you've talked about some of your mm -hmm. students being required to be there. I always tell my students, why are you here? And one of the answers you can't give is you have to be. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, why does teaching Hebrew, biblical Bible, mm -hmm. uh, Bible uh, books of the Bible, uh, how does that matter for the church? So, well, so I hope we'll see, because this is, this is part of me being new. Um, one of the things that I hope that students who go through my um, Hebrew Bible class will do is that they will go into the church and preach from the Hebrew Bible, um, that they feel sufficiently, maybe not like at home in the Hebrew Bible, but at least sufficiently... Um, in conversation with it, that they can do something with it when they go into the church. Uh, and I think that there's just much to learn from the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible, and the church will be better for having people who preach from it. Um, the three things. Um, I think the... So one of the ways that I try to make the Hebrew Bible um, something students will want to come back to is show them how their own life experiences and the experiences of their communities are valuable tools for interacting with the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so we try to read, the secondary readings are from sort of many different perspectives, and hopefully each student will feel like several of the readings in uh, some way yeah. 
reflect their own experience. So that there's not just like, there was this one reading that was sort of like touched on my life, but that they have a sense of like, yeah. here are how some similar people to you have read in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's it's connected to the first, though it's slightly different in that I want them to feel, I want them to come out of my class feeling like who they are and who their communities are matters for biblical interpretation. So when, when I you, know, you hear you hear words like if if you're not a theological student or if you're and you hear just the Hebrew Bible and I don't know what people would respond or what they would feel I would imagine some of it would they would go like well that's ancient or that's referring to something but then I hear the, the words you mentioned in the introduction um, ecology land migration in the Hebrew Bible environmental ethics these are all things that like oh those all oh, those words are today mm-hmm. like you know the mm-hmm. the climate conference is ending in Glasgow yeah. right now and um, how how has that been kind of exciting for you yeah. in terms of you take this old so-called text or ancient text and then it's coming alive for people yeah. today well and I guess that is also if I was going to say a third thing it's like thinking maybe what I'm good at is thinking about the Hebrew Bible in relation to contemporary issues and especially ecological ones. Um, And I mean, partly I just, I sort of remember that at some point it felt, the Bible felt very distant for Mm. being an ancient text. That's not really my relationship with it anymore. Though there are moments, right? Like the, I still, I really want to find genealogies exciting like i'll feel like i have arrived when i'm like i'm just going to read those like genealogies um, hasn't happened yet in chronicles yeah (laughs) well there's in sort of jewish tradition that's one of the books that the high priest in the temple could read to stay awake right it was so exciting that you should read the genealogies in chronicles there's so many of them though i don't even know you get there anyways this is the babbling (laughs) um so (laughs) But um, when it comes to, like, ecological issues and questions about land, like, those are just so present in the Hebrew Bible. Like, everyone everyone is basically a subsistence farmer. And so relationship to land is life and death. Uh, and then the um, there's lost lots of transition in terms of... Um, or lots of issues around that. So like death slavery, for example, continues mm. to be a problem throughout the Bible. Um, and that relates both to, right, like you can become a slave because you're in debt, but also your land basically also becomes enslaved in the sense that you no longer have right. access to it. Mm. Um, so they're dealing with lots of ecological-like issues. Um, and... Um, and dealing with issues where questions of power, like mm. how how government works, um, is interacting with that. And so th- it's not hard for me to see those connections. And then in terms of being in North America, it's also a story of a people that comes into a land, tries to murder everyone, right. and mm. does so unsuccessfully, <laughs> and then has very <laughs> troubled relationships with those people for a long time. Um, mm. So, you know, there's some obvious... Yeah, the story's been... Parallels, yes. Um, And so I just, I think, for me, the the connections between the Hebrew Bible and contemporary issues around land and ecology um, are just, they're very sort of like, they're not subtext, they're just text. It sounds like, um, I'm just thinking to myself as you're speaking, you're an analogical thinker. 
you're thinking yes. this is like that and th- yeah. that is like this and reading the two things together that's that's wonderful mm. and do you do um, when you're teaching is that a skill that you're trying to um, offer those in the class or, or do, the, do you find that you discover new analogies from the students as well yeah mm-hmm. um, well I mean one of the um, what was I'm trying to remember what the text was oh um, I mean sometimes you just realize sort of like the ecological issues are really the text like they're just very accessible to me sometimes you realize other issues are very accessible to students so for example we were reading Ruth and the one of the articles we read about Ruth um, says that the, the so the word for um, marriage that's happened right at the beginning of Ruth is unusual mm-hmm. so usually it's such and such took such and such for wife but in Ruth, it's snatched, so it's it's it might be the implication might be that they were kidnapped, Ruth and Orpah, hmm. and so people were discussing this, and she was sort of like, "Well, this still happens where I'm from, like bride kidnapping is pretty common." And they're like, "Oh, okay, so yeah, so I had not <laughs> thought of that as a contemporary, contemporary issue yeah. we really needed to talk about, but." Clearly, and I mean, and once she said it, I was like, oh, I can think of lots of other examples um, of that happening in the contemporary world. So sometimes you just have those kinds of things happen. I hadn't, I knew, I know that I'm an analogical thinker in some ways because people often ask me what my environment stuff, where I say sort of trees are people to, what I do with that. And I say often I think in analogy, so I try to think about ways in which sort of, I am, my categories have similar Mm -hmm. categories as trees. So like Mm -hmm. I have skin, trees have bark, they function very similarly. Mm -hmm. Humans have babies, trees have babies too, they deal with them very differently. But but I hadn't thought of it as a general category, but that's probably, yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, listening to a presentation you made not that, that long ago, and talking about some of the miracles and Elisha and and you said that he's the only character in all of the stories of kings who restores something that was bad and talking about like the healing of the water and the, and and that's where it struck me that oh you know you're, you're teaching here at VST and, it, and again it seems like something so ancient why would I and then it is just so it's it's like beyond contemporary it's like looking looking you know how can we learn from this what are some of the questions that we can ask i just heard this morning on cbc radio they had a they're talking about building the new saint paul's hospital here in town and that they're planning on you know um the the how how high the water is going to rise in 50 years or whatever and they're planning around that and they had an indigenous elder knowledge keeper go and bless the and he was talking about how he reaches down and grabs the land and like speaks to the land and has this interaction. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to your to, to what I'd learned yeah. from you. And he was saying it was different for me because I had to reach further down right. because of, you know, what the future was going to look like yeah. as water, you know, raised up and kind of. Uh, and so it, it is hearing these things with um, with with the ears of the culture that we are now that you think, OK, what's going on with these climate conferences and what's going on with students who are learning this, that mm-hmm. it's not separate yeah right um Mari, what's the classroom like these days for you so um 
you know, some people listening and myself, you know, went to the seminary or to school at a certain time. We have this picture of the classroom, but um, things are different now. Um, p- part of it is COVID, but it's only t- intensified some things we're already doing. So, so tell me about how you conduct a class using the, the kind of technology that we're into here at VST. Well, so um, it just changed because we now have students in the building, which I was nervous about. Not the students being in the building, but having students in the building oh, and yeah. students online right. at the same time. And, and so far, it's great. So I, I ask everyone to bring their own computer so everyone can see each other's faces. And the real, only real difference is that people in the room, I mean, there are other differences, but the main difference is that people in the room wear masks when they're not talking so you can tell on the screen who's there and who's oh, not yeah. by the mask. It's much harder. I was like, you can probably just tell by the background, and it's like white background. Right. <laughs> and um, and then I try as much as possible to do small group work and things like that in groups that mix people who are in the classroom and mm. people who are online. Because what I was really nervous about was that basically I was going to be teaching two classes. Um, at the same time. So like one that was online and one that was in person and that I was sort of going to have to choose who was going to have the good experience. Who do you address? Yes. And that seems, that seems sad um, and less than excellent. Um, but partly because the students have been, like we had some few moments of feedback that were pretty <laughs> harrowing. Um, but the students have just been really um, sort of charitable and, and cheerful about it. Um, and, you know, I think everyone would love not to wear masks, but, but they've just been really willing to try things. Um, and so, I mean, I think that is one of the big differences from, even from what I experienced as a student is that there is both an online community and, um, but then I also think a lot more students are working while Mm -hmm. doing school. Um, and that both means having to be more flexible about some things. And like students are just juggling tons of things. Um, but it also sometimes just makes the conversation richer because they have all these other things going on in their life that they bring with them. Mm-hmm. Not that students didn't before, but... Yes. And you get to meet their cat and yeah. some of their <laughs> <Right>. children. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're, you're new here, newest faculty member, mm-hmm. and um, you've taught in other places before. What's What have you experienced so far as unique to VST, the culture here? Um, and the principal is listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's just terrible. Yeah. It's just a dark, dark yeah. place. Um, well, as, I mean, part of why I think this, the going, going back to students being in the classroom um, has gone so well is uh, the students are just really, um, I feel like, committed to classes mm-hmm. uh, well at least mine I right. won't speak for the other ones but I think it's I think it's the students I don't think it's me so uh, and it's um, just a very um, I feel like positive student environment mm-hmm. as I experience it so far it's possible that they're all just like putting up a front and you know when they sign so. off they're like oh, that's the worst <laughs> um, and and so far it just is like genuinely nice place to be um, and maybe I'll find the dark secrets later, but um, I think especially because 
um, and this was like no one's fault um, as far as my unit went, but the where I worked before, we were on a hiring freeze. Mm. And, and just from sort of natural attrition, several people quit. And so we were down to 30% of our staff by the time I left. Uh, so you're just carrying way bigger load. It was, it was very stressful on everyone. And I know, you know, there are um, people here who carry two big loads too, but it's not the same pants on fire mm. all the time. And so it's just been, I've very much appreciated sort of getting to land in a, a non-crash landing fashion. Mm. At and least you, that is how I experienced it. The, the no crash, that's for, and you feel like you can teach here which seems yeah. to be what does yeah. interest you. I can even hear it in the, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, it's good. I, I mean, I, I can speak to that as well from the, the feeling of being here. And the same thing with the students. And a lot of students, I don't, you know, I take a class and don't know the students and now online and then, then you see them in person when you're at a campus or something like that. And uh, that, that energy is, is there. People are like, hey, this is, this is something really great that I get to do and, and I'm into this, mm -hmm. right? That, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the other the other side of it is it is you know we're all in a pretty unique time, mm -hmm. um, and you you've come in a pretty unique time to another place to mm -hmm. begin your 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 work here. Um, what what are some of the challenges? And I, I've written here what what are the biggest challenges that you face as a professor of Hebrew Bible? Um, I was interested in your comment about preaching uh, mm -hmm. uh, from the Hebrew Bible, which seemed to the, the unspoken piece was that. People don't preach yeah. much right. from the Hebrew Bible. I mean, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, apart from that challenge, yeah. um, and speak to that if you'd like, what, what are the other challenges or big challenges that, that you face as a professor that perhaps other professors face or are unique to you? So, I mean, this is, is maybe not... I enjoy this challenge, but I think often... Well, part of the reason people don't preach the Hebrew Bible, but also just part of people's general relationship with it, is that it is sort of violent and brutal. Um, and and that's true in all sorts of ways. Um, though I also think it's true of the New Testament too. Like I've pointed out to the students that there's a sense of damnation in the New Testament. I think you can there's all kinds of questions about how you read that. But there really isn't damnation in the Hebrew Bible. Everyone goes to the same place. Um, like, there's no sense of hell. Um, but um, I think dealing with that sort of um, knee-jerk reaction, like there is nothing, there's nothing here to learn, or that we are somehow more enlightened than ancient people and also have more nuanced feelings um, and so I think part of what I try to do is um, to show that these are texts from like full people with like emotional and ethical lives that are as rich as ours and there are things that they did that horrify us there are things that we do that would horrify them and not necessarily the things that like show up in culture wars, mm -hmm. but like how we treat our cattle would absolutely mm -hmm. like stun and terrify them, right? Like that is, um, or the fact that we have um, real estate, right? Mm -hmm. Like ancient Israel didn't have real estate. You could kind of sell buildings and cities, but all other land you could not sell. Um, 
So, you know, that we are, we are different, but we are not, like, better or... And that part of... That makes the text something we can learn from in the differences and in the texts that I think are sort of genuinely horrifying that they can help us reflect on our own also serious mm. shortcomings. Mm. You said you like that challenge. Yes. Th- there's like, yeah, because you can there's take... There's the fun the, of it. Yeah, <laughs> to, to take a perception that somebody's walking in with and then go, well, yeah. hang on a sec, let's take a look at this. When you say um, there's a, a lack of preaching from the Hebrew Bible, um, do you mean that particularly just like people aren't speaking from that part of, of scripture, as they would say, or or that the way in which they're doing it is problematic? Or, or both. Or both. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so I should say that the church I just came from, there was quite a bit of preaching from the Hebrew Bible. Um, so in some ways, I don't have immediate mm. experience of the shortcoming um, I certainly have heard, um, you know, sort of like sermon series on like Moses as an exemplar, and I think or David. It yeah, gets David. it's so worse David. with David, <laughs> and I think that would be an example of like preaching that just isn't very good, right? Um, because you, I mean, you have to skate over so much of. I just uh, the last. Um, class that's right yeah the last class was on david on saul and david and you know once you start looking at david's story it's like oh i don't want to be like him i don't think i'd even want him to be my friend like this person is kind of awful um but there's also good things about david but a sermon series that is about like a man after god's heart right four ways you can be four four ways you can be like david That's probably not going to help you explore the complexities of the story. Mm. Um, and then also, I mean, I think the, the lectionary often doesn't help because the selection... Um, so, for example, I'm working on a sermon on Jeremiah 1, and the lectionary section, I think, is 4 to 10. So it takes out the opening statement, which is basically like, Jeremiah preached from Josiah to the exile. So the book starts with, this didn't work out. It's, you know, it's like <laughs> he tries to intervene and it doesn't work. Um, and then it uh, stops after the, you will um, tear down and destroy, la di la, build and plant. And then, but in the text, there's actually a series of visions after that, that really highlights what kind of situation are we talking about and basically god's like i'm going to put you between judah mm-hmm. and uh the the peoples of the north the empire's coming at you and everyone is going to hate you and it'll be fine but like <laughs> uh and it's this very like if you just take the middle part it seems like it's sort of like i knew you from before you were right. born it's so nice um and, I mean, maybe you could get nicer sermons out of that, but you're not actually yeah. getting an accurate picture of Jeremiah. So I think it can be really difficult, and basically you just have to take a little bit of liberties with the lectionary. And mm. There's no reason you can't read a little extra mm-hmm. in your sermon. Yes, yes. 
Um, one of the questions I have, if it's funny, Jeremiah, you're talking about, and I was just about to ask you, what makes you hopeful? <laughs> <laughs> but well, I know the plans I have for you. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, well, and by hopeful, I mean, what makes you hopeful in the context of theological education, um, the life of the Christian church, and just, you know, the circumstances of the world? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I don't feel hopeful is, is mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially in terms of, of um, environmental stuff, it mm-hmm. can be really hard to stay hopeful about that. Um, and I also think thinking about truth and reconciliation mm-hmm. um, as a white person, um, we do keep messing that one up in like spectacular fashions. So, mm-hmm. um, but in, I mean, I do think Jeremiah is kind of helpful um, because in some ways, like I said, like it begins with Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah between the reign of Josiah and the exile. And so it seems like it's a book that is just like, well, mm-hmm. that didn't that didn't go. Um, but um, it's also a book that has a lot of hope for the exiles that go to Babylon. And um, and we know that that did go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like both, there are Jews today and. Um, that is why there can be Christians today. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, the Babylonian community produced the Babylonian Talmud, one of the most important texts in Judaism. Um, and so, like, that gives me hope in the sense that, like, <laughs> we are not, we're not at a point where I think we are trying to avert crisis. So, like, settler colonialism has happened. We are in that crisis. And climate change is also a crisis we're in. Like, there's no, there's no, um, there's no scenario in which climate change isn't happening. Like that, that boat, is gone, left. Um, and I think Jeremiah is, um, is a book where you are in the crisis, and you have to sort of like figure out where to go from there, rather than like. There's a crisis coming. Let's see what right. we can do so we don't experience it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's a good yeah. book for people in the midst of a crisis. Yes. Or, or two. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 A few. I can see why that's hopeful, right? That that's like you can't avoid the thing that you were hoping wouldn't happen to some degree has happened. So now what? Yeah. And that there's hope yeah. there, even there. Uh, what a great example of those things that you teach, being able to speak to our times um and past that i also think it shows that just because something has happened and it wasn't averted it doesn't mean that you are now off the hook it doesn't mean that you're like well it yeah. happened it's Nothing too late yeah oh no <laughs> guess that one just we're just gonna have yeah. to count that as a loss um that jeremiah doesn't allow that kind of stance um and that you know eventually jeremiah goes to egypt like, he doesn't even go to Babylon. He goes with the wrong right. exiles. The people who are, he's like, don't go to Egypt, you <laughs> idiots. And then he goes with them. Yeah. Um, and so there's also a kind of, like, um, like unfailing commitment to people that, in some ways, Jeremiah thinks is making all the wrong choices. Wow, that's mm-hmm. And then, he, you today. know, he dies, and we don't know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of sad. <laughs> It's funny to f- finish the hope question. Yeah, he dies. He dies. <laughs> but, but, 
And yeah, they didn't live happily ever. Well, after. you shouldn't have used Jeremiah as a segue yeah. into hope. No, 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 That'll no, teach no. you to. But you did. You did talk about. You know, there are still Jews today there, and if without that, there wouldn't be Christians. I mean, that's a that that's a really important point that that you make there to connect those communities in that crucial way. And I, I, I was thinking, and I don't mean like. The only reason it's good right. that there's Jews yeah, yeah. is that there's Christians. No, but, no, 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 no. You but, know, we live in the, we, people survived, I guess is yes, what I'm saying. Yes, yeah. yes, But I think, you know, the, the way you're putting it, um, and the importance of the Hebrew Bible, I mean, I just think of the legacy of, in Christianity of anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. and I hear in what you're saying um, that what you're saying is mindful of that, that, that we are where we are with mm-hmm. this legacy. And so even, you know, the nomenclature, the Hebrew Bible, and connecting the mm-hmm. communities, uh, the central communities of the, of the Hebrew Bible and of the New Testament, n- not in any uh, supersessionist way, but mm-hmm. that they are related. And this is important mm-hmm. to keep in front of us when we do our work. Yeah. I think it's such a nice way of, of you know, so we talk about people who would want to take classes at a mm. theological school or that. And I think the three of us could all kind of maybe probably relate these moments where you're reading or studying something that's really, really old, and you're not even always able to pinpoint why, but mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this gives me hope for, mm-hmm. for what we're facing now. And clearly to me, I've just met you, um, you are able to do that in your, as I've seen you present and in your uh, writing and teaching. And and so I think that it's uh, just another piece of, of some of the great things that are going on out here and really want to like, I mean, I'm sure you've been welcomed already, but really glad that you're here mm-hmm. and teaching and teaching what you're teaching. Um, and uh, thanks so much for joining us for yeah. this conversation. Uh, thanks so much, Todd. And thank you, Mari. Thank you. And also thank you to Alice Williams, who is producing our program today. And Allison is a student at the Vancouver School of Theology. So we're especially delighted that she's uh, producing the show today. Thanks very much. Thank you. Holtz is a production of the Vancouver School of Theology. For more information about VST, visit vst.edu. Thanks for listening to Holtz. Mm-hmm.